Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This Invicta FC Spotlight is an in-depth feature into the lives of Bantamweight champion Tanya Evinger and challenger Colleen Schneider. This program features content which may be uncomfortable to some listeners. It also features uncensored language. If you prefer a censored version, you can find it at soundcloud.com forward slash Invicta FC. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are not those of Invicta Fighting Championships or its staff. Listener discretion is advised. I forget why we were there at this big country bar. Me and my girlfriend, my brother and his wife, and we're leaving. And my brother and his wife are arguing about something. When we get to their car... And my brother's getting the driver's seat, he's getting into the driver's side, and we're all waiting for him to get in and unlock the door. Well, these two dudes come driving by, and they must have heard him argue something. They start running their mouth. And my brother's pissed because he's arguing with his girlfriend, so he's like, what, motherfucker, what? Throwing his hands up. My brother's like the same size as me. We're not, like, huge or anything, you know? And he's real lean, but he's not, like, big, muscular dude. So these dudes, I mean, they'd already rolled past two or three cars past us. So they slam on their brake, both jump out, both doors open, wide open, never shut them. They both coming at us and they're like, what motherfucker? Like the one dude rips his shirt off about halfway. One dude's like over six foot and he's a big giant fat out of shape dude. And the other dude's a little bit taller than me, but he probably weighs maybe 215, 220. The dude rips his shirt off, that's him. So when he starts running up, like my brother's coming around the car, like, come on motherfuckers, you know? I double leg this fool on the ground. I'm going for the smaller guy. <laughs> so I take this fool down, boom, double leg. And I remember my girlfriend picking me up off this dude. I just had this dude on the ground, wallered down. And my girlfriend picks me up. And I remember looking over my shoulder. My brother is swinging like they're just fist fighting. And then this dude starts to get up. And he, as he starts to get up, I just fucking decked him. Knocked him out cold. I mean, he fell fucking straight back, head against the fucking tire. Blood starts running out of his mouth. And he's knocked out, like, for a long time. Well, the security guard is all the way across the parking lot. He comes running up and grabs a hold of me. And he's like, you're going to jail, bitch. You, I just saw you hit him. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, here's me. Like, I'm like, I didn't hit nobody. <laughs> they call the cops. Well, this dude still passed out. It, he's passed out for like 10, 15 minutes. The cops are like, something's wrong. Like, get the fucking ambulance. The ambulance come. He starts to wake up and the ambulance get there. And they're like, no, you're going to hospital. You were knocked out way too long. The security guard still had a hold of me, and I remember thinking, if I want to get away from you, I'll, I could get away from you, dude. <laughs> I'm not going to jail because I just beat up this big-ass fucking 220-pound dude. I guarantee I'm not going to jail. The cops show up, everything. The other security guards come out, and the, the cops are like, get your hands off her, let her go. So the guy's like, well, she hit him, blah, blah, It was a big old argument, and they're like, let her the fuck go. So the guy lets me go. The cops are like, what happened, what happened? By this time, a crowd 
has gathered and my other brother because my brothers are twins are younger than me my brother had ran off you know he thought he didn't want to be in trouble so he went around back to my other brother's truck so here comes my brother all his friends there's a big crowd my brother's standing over and he's like holy shit who the fuck knocked that dude out because everybody's standing around this dude is just like out and they're like your sister and he's like oh my god you got knocked out by a fucking girl I'm like, shut up, man. Fighting out of Houston, Texas, here is the reigning Invicta FC, Bantamweight Champion of the World, Tanya Triple Threat Avenger! Invicta FC Radio presents the Athlete Spotlight. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Invicta FC Radio Athlete Spotlight. This time, we get ready for May 7th. That is the night that Tanya Evinger defends her bantamweight crown against Colleen Schneider. It is the main event of Invicta FC 17 in Costa Mesa, California, back inside the hangar for the second time in 2016. I am TJ DeSantis, along with our spotlight correspondent, Jack Incarnacio, who is on the beat of our May 7th main event as uh, he lets us in to who these women really are. An in-depth feature unlike any other you will find in the MMA space, the Invicta FC Radio Spotlight. We appreciate you downloading it and checking out what is going on here with Invicta FC. So, Jack, uh, you got your hands dirty. This takes a lot of work to get done, and uh, I'm curious. What did we find out uh, about Tanya Evinger and Colleen Schneider? Well, it's a good old-fashioned study in contrast, TJ. Nothing better in the fight game, I suppose. Both are eager to explain themselves and their outlooks on life and fighting, but my God, do they go about it in different ways. And what we heard off the top was Invicta FC Bantamweight champion Tanya Evinger, just one of an endless stream of anecdotes that she could throw at you about her, her wild exploits, her, her uh, just throwing caution to the wind throughout the course of her entire life, mostly to her advantage, occasionally to her detriment. And really, when it comes to Colleen Schneider, she is so much less that in terms of kind of a rabble-rousing backstory that it, it's pretty remarkable. In fact, Colleen Schneider might just be a nerd. So I've always been, I guess, fairly scholarly, right? Like I, I enjoy studying, um, enjoy academics, enjoyed school, and uh, particularly have always really liked math and science. My, uh, my AP physics teacher was also my high jump coach, which was awesome because he would he would break high jump down in terms of mm. like you know force diagrams and everything. It was pretty, it was pretty cool. So um, I loved physics, and I felt like physics was uh, the the way to understand everything. Right? You're like yeah, I have this idea. That, like I'm 18. And I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out you know the grand unified theory. Like under understand it all. Right? There's got to be science is the means to just understanding the world around us. We've progressed that understanding as humans over the course of civilization, but it's still only so far, right? There's still so much that we don't know. And that, that there's so much appeal to me in that, in that pursuit, right? Just that it's a, it's this really kind of pure form of, of knowledge. So I, I chose to study physics, um, initially thinking that I would do like theoretical particle physics research. Theoretical particle physics research. <laughs> End up over at, at CERN in Switzerland, you know, mm-hmm. smashing, smashing atoms together and seeing, seeing what's what. <laughs> Different kind of smashing going on as it turned out. 
Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, in school, I actually got I, I got into astrophysics quite a bit because really the large and the small are the same, right? Astrophysics is is physics on the grandest scale, anatomic physics is physics on the on the smallest scale, but they're two sides of the same coin. And I almost got my double major in astrophysics, though I was shy one class of it. But uh, I did my research in astrophysics at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratories, and um, it was just such a fascinating subject, right? Like this is the development of of the universe of everything how it came to be what what's going on with it now where we can see it's going to go in the future it's just a fascinating subject now that's certainly not to say schneider doesn't have a daring side uh, she recently actually had her first professional wrestling match against shayna baszler and derived some physics lessons from that experience as well what i do find interesting is that in terms of fighting many many of what are our, our natural reaction to things from an evolutionary perspective are counterproductive, right? Like you trip and you fall, your natural reaction is to tense up. However, you will absorb the impact of that fall much better if you're completely relaxed. Like, you know, when someone's drunk driving and they get in an accident, the person that's drunk is the one that's fine because they were totally relaxed. And that carries over into fighting too, right? We have this natural reaction. When someone's punching at you, you want to you wanna be tense. You want to flinch. Right, but that's not actually the most effective thing to do in that situation. I'd imagine you learned quite a bit about the value of uh, staying relaxed in impact situations when you were training for your pro wrestling debut. That's the whole philosophy behind <laughs> taking a bump, right? You got to be relaxed. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I learned that in my pro wrestling debut. I'd been fighting for so long at that <laughs> point that uh, I think it was more that my MMA experience was informing my my pro wrestling. Though, man, I I was actually I took a bump off the ropes where my match was against Shayna Baszler, and uh, she, you know, I got caught up on the ropes, and she she put me up on the up on her shoulders from the top rope, and I was I was scared to take that bump. It's like shit. I've never done never done this before. We're really high. Oh my gosh, here we go. <laughs> So you took an electric chair drop without never having done it before in, in training? Uh, yeah, because I didn't have an appropriate floor to practice it on. So yeah, I had done it on a crash pad, but it's not the same, right? When you're, when you're just like, no, this is it. This is a real deal. I'm just I'm just taking this right now. Um. Definitely. Yeah, I imagine that's uh, you run quite the risk of shock absorption there when your head ricochets off the mat. Everything was fine, though. I was totally fine afterwards. I took some bumps. I, I threw her around. She took some bumps. It was, it was really, it was really fun. And it was, it was interesting. I was super, super nervous before. You're back there and it feels a lot like a fight, right? You're in the locker room. Everyone's, you know, warming up, moving around, except for that the person you're, you're fighting's um, doing, you know, back there with you doing the same thing. And then, um, I, I was just, yeah, I was super nervous, but I, I walked out and I stepped into the ring. And once I stepped into the ring, everything kind of settled for me. I felt like, Oh, it's all right. I've been here. I've done this. I know this. Um, I had kind of had an idea going into it that I needed to play a, a role. Like there was a certain way I was supposed to act as a pro wrestler, a certain way I was supposed to come off and a certain way I was supposed to be. And I got in there and I was like, ah, no, no, I just, just, Make it mine. Whatever I do is what it is, and that's fine. I don't. There's not some way I need to try and be. Once I got in the ring, I, I, I felt much more comfortable. I was super into pro wrestling when I was a kid, and then you know just just stopped watching it. And then 
Um, you know, Josh has done pro wrestling his whole career, and Shayna Baszler started to get into it. So I would train with her, like you know, do pro wrestling work with her. Basically, we do you know fight practice, MMA practice, and then do some pro wrestling afterwards. Uh, you know, myself and Jessamyn Duke would work with Shayna on it a lot, and uh, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it, and I got to work with other people to come in and help some fairly big name pro wrestlers, and um, it's all kind of part like original like the old school guys like in japan and even like billy robinson's day those guys would all do both they were yep. right they would shoot and they would work and doing you know each just made you better at the other i like that that mentality about it so it was something i was was open to doing so when i was offered a match i took it so some obvious contrasts here early as we get to know these two athletes but when it comes to athletic ability and athletic background uh, they have a lot in common as well yeah yeah both embraced sports from a very young age and found their way to mixed martial arts by taking up tangential disciplines, in Evinger's case, wrestling, and in Schneider's case, Taekwondo. And while they had different experiences in terms of being accepted into the communities of those particular sports as women, uh, they both were eventually flirting with the idea of trying out for the Olympics someday. The time I wrestled, it still wasn't like kind of accepted that, that girls can wrestle the boys. You know, a lot of people still had a problem with it. And and I would beat boys and their moms would follow me in the bathroom and like, you should never beat my son. And they would go crazy. And I'm just this little high school or high school girl and, you know, I'm beating their, their kids and they, their kids were placing at state the last year. And they're just, it devastated them, you know, and my coach would get so mad and he would go crazy on the mat. You know, I get screwed on a call and he's like, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of these calls. Like, forget the fact that she's a girl. She's winning this. Like, why isn't she getting points? Why ain't she? Why are you not calling this? And why are like, it just was crazy. You know, back then I was one of the pioneers of the, the women, you know, I, I, I went through a lot and I got a lot of uh, flack for it. And I got a lot of, you know, stuff taken from me that I, I deserved. And I, I really uh, tried to get to where I was. And, you know, just the fact that I was a girl, I didn't, it didn't happen for me, you know. And, you know, you see in the MMA world back in the day when I first started, you know, the sports evolving and definitely it's the same way in wrestling. And I mean, you still go back to my high school and I'm the only one that's not up on the board, all American and this and that. Well, there's not a single wrestler that came from my school that ever went as far as I did or ever did what I did. I can't even get my name on the board. I can't get nothing. And the coaches there now, they just have no respect. They don't even allow the girls to wrestle anymore. And it's just ridiculous, you know, so um, I'll stir up a little shit with the school and with the coaches and stuff. And my brother hates it because his boys wrestle for him, you know. <laughs> he doesn't want it to affect his kids. But what it yeah. comes down to is it just ain't right, you know, and... and I definitely should get the same benefit as, as the guys and the same recognition in, in everything that I did, you know, so it is what it is, but it's it's definitely sure. been a struggle. Obviously, the fire in your voice as an adult looking back in those days. But when you're a kid, when you're a teenager and parents are following you into the bathroom, how are you feeling? Do you feel like crap or do you feel like, yeah, I'll show you? Do you feel defiant? How do you feel? Uh, I think it, it was just a shock. You know, when you're that young, you're just like, what the hell did I do wrong? But, you know, my coach was like, fuck them. <laughs> fuck them. You did amazing. And my mom was supportive. And, you know, it, it just... I didn't care, you know, I, I loved it. I loved beating the boys. I freaking loved it. And, uh, you know, I, I still am the same way as I was back then. And 
you know, now I just, I fight girls, but it's still uh, amazing to beat the shit out of somebody <laughs> in a sport, you know, so. You mentioned earlier your coach took you to, quote, nationals. Um, what was that exactly, and did you wrestle girls or guys in that? Uh, I wrestled girls. He didn't actually take me. He gave me the information, and he said, oh, go. Okay. And I went around, and I didn't have no way to go. My parents didn't have a lot of money, so you know, I, I typed up this letter. My mom said, type up a letter and go ask businesses to help you, and so that's what I did. I typed up a letter, and she drove me around, and I walked in these businesses, and I asked to speak to managers or the owner, and I gave him this letter, and I talked to him, and you know, it was amazing. I think the very first year I did that, I was a junior in high school, and I raised a couple thousand dollars, and me and my mom got in a car, and we drove to Vegas, and we wrestled at Nationals, and, and it was crazy. You know, I, I didn't have a clue that the rules or anything. I, I, I would get done with the matches, and I would lose a match, and I was like, how the hell did I just lose? Like, I was on top the whole time. You know, I didn't understand slips. I didn't understand how these girls were getting points. I just, I didn't understand it. It was the first time I ever wrestled girls, you know, and I it was devastating to me. I cried, you know, I, I mm. would just, I threw my headgear and I was like, how many times do I got, like, this is, I beat boys. Like I'm a varsity wrestler for a badass high school in our state. You know, like this is crazy. These rules, I don't just don't get it. I didn't have a single coach there. I didn't have anybody in my corner coaching me. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up placing seventh top eight qualified for world team trials. And so, you know, I thought, I'm not going to do shit because only the top three make the world team. And I'm not going to do shit. I just barely qualified to go to this tournament. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. So I went home and it's about a month in between tournaments. And I just, I didn't do anything. I didn't train. I didn't do anything. I, I expected to go to the tournament and get my ass kicked. And so I ended up doing the same thing. I went around. I found sponsors. Me and my mom went. And uh, it's funny that I didn't, I didn't make weight because uh, why cut so much weight? I'm just going to get my ass kicked. So what I did is I... I wrestled up, whatever weight I showed up at, I was 0.2 over for that weight class, and I had to move all the way up, and the next weight class was huge. It was like 12 pounds difference, and them girls are cutting 30 pounds, and here I am, like, screw cutting weight, and I'm just going to get my ass kicked. <laughs> and then I had wow. a, um, a coach from a college come up, and, and they're like, man, we want to recruit you. We're gonna Next year, we're going to start giving scholarships, and we got a women's team, and we want to build a women's team, because all that Title IX stuff started coming out, you know, so... They're like, you're an amazing wrestler. You know, they're they're a college from Missouri. They knew who I was. The head coach, I had wrestled a bunch of boys from his school when I was in high school and obviously whooped their, their ass. So he kind of had a little bit of respect for me. He's like, holy shit, we got like a girl that's a good wrestler here. We just got to show her a couple things. So they ended up pulling me aside and showing me a couple things. All right, you reveal the back here and you get points. You do that. And he just said, anything you can grab, you grab and you lift it. And I remember going in the next day and not having any worries in the world because these girls were huge and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I was like, you know, I had no pressure. So I just went in and I wrestled my ass off. Man, I beat so many good people. I just wrestled my ass off and I ended up getting uh, going for true third and, and I ended up making the world team that year. And it was amazing for a weight class that was so over my weight class. I mean, it was crazy how heavy and big these girls were. And I I remember girls were so mad because I was this junior in high school, the youngest one ever to make the national team at the time. Nobody's ever made a national team at, at my age at the time, you know. So I was 16, 17. It was a little bit crazy, and they were, they were like, all these girls were talking, oh, there's this little badass high schooler, and then these girls were like, screw her, I'll beat her, you know, just hater attitude, you know. Nobody knew who I was, and 
and I had to wrestle this girl, and man, she was just headbutting me. She was so unsportsmanlike, trying to fight me after I take her down, and the ref had to split us apart and stuff. And I'm like, I'm coming from a high school atmosphere where that ain't just ain't accepted. You know, you don't, they don't let you do that. So it was a real eye opener for me. And I remember being like, what the hell's going on? Like, I'm, I'm gonna have to fight this girl for. Like, what does this ref do? What's the point of having a ref here if, like, he ain't gonna stop this? This girl's trying to fight me. My eye got swelled shut. I'd never been so beat up in a wrestling match, you know, and it was it was crazy, and then I ended up winning, and, and it was a game changer. I, I go to Olympic Training Center. They're like, all right, you need to get your passport. You're getting a trip overseas. You, you come train at the training center for every training camp to help the rest of the team get ready. And, and I remember my mom cried, sending me off to the training center the first time, and and, uh, you know, it was just amazing. You know, I, I, I was going out of the country when I was 17, you know, wrestling for Team USA and, and uh, you know, training with all these guys and girls that are Olympians and shit and all these other sports and being in a facility like that. And it was just a cool experience and something that, you know, I'll, I'll be able to talk about for the rest of my life pretty much, you know, so. Yeah, I was number three, so how they do it, they have uh, three three tournaments overseas a year, and, and pretty much they go to the first person, which one you want, Sweden, France, or whatever other country, and they pick, and, and obviously the first year I went to France, so it was fun, it was fun, different experience, but it was fun. What year was this? Like, 98. So this was in preparation for the summer 2000 games? Yeah, but the girls didn't, we didn't make it to the Olympics until 2004. They, they, that's right. They jacked us around in 2000. We were supposed to be in the Olympics in 2000 and, and then they pulled us again last minute and then they finally let us in in 2004, but they screwed us because they let us go to nationals in Mm -hmm. all seven weight classes. And then they, we go to Olympic trials and they say, nope, we're only doing four. So here I am in the middle, my weight class ain't going. So I either got to cut all this weight to a weight class I, I hadn't been to or I go up and them girls are huge. So it's like, I'm screwed. So that's when I packed my bags and I, I lived at the, I lived in Colorado Springs at that time and I packed my bags in 2004 and I said, I'm out. And I went to California, Sacramento and I started training in there. Berkeley for decades has been the best collegiate taekwondo program in the country, you know, on the team, one collegiate nationals, uh, four years, very serious program, a very good team. We have a legitimate, you know, reputation as a good team in the taekwondo world. So, um, even though it was a club sport, you know, we trained six days a week, three hours every night, you know, (laughs) we trained hard and we were very serious about our training. And it's also, it's a martial art too. So you're not just doing it for the sport aspect. We're doing the martial, you know, the full, it's not like I'm just sparring. I'm doing everything that there is to Taekwondo, which also means helping to like run the program, teach classes, run tournaments there, helping to coach, you know, that's all a part of being a part of the program. I wanted to do, um, the 08 Olympics, but I was training in Korea and I tore my ACL, which just timeline wise, just, just took me out of that. Um, you know, cause I was going to be out for like six to nine months and it was just, yeah, it took me out of it. Um, but after I came back from the ACL tear is when I started to get into 
MMA. I, I didn't really know much about MMA before. I hadn't really been exposed to it much, but I, ha I had a crew of college friends, but it, this was after college, that would get together and started watching the old, the old Pride events. And watching those, you know, there was just such this really distinct awareness of how little of what they were doing, I knew how to do, right? Like I, I could kick super well, and I had done some hapkido and some judo, but I loved the openness of MMA, the, like the potential, any that it could go anywhere at any moment. There's just so much to the sport, and you, you could really just be so free and creative with it because there was so much that was allowed within, within the rule set of MMA. Jack, uh, tell me where these women come from. Well, Colleen grew up in Syracuse, New York, with her mom and older brother. was a pretty comfortable middle-class upbringing, no great adversity to speak of. Her parents divorced when she was four. Uh, her dad, who's actually a marathon runner, lives in Connecticut, and, you know, she saw him frequently growing up, no kind of irreconcilable distance there between the two. Uh, but they moved around a lot, Colleen and her mother and her brother, uh, as her mom worked different jobs. Uh, and, in fact, one move was prompted by a pretty nasty fire. This was kind of gnarly. Um, we, we lived in a house that my, my grandparents owned in North Syracuse, and uh, a couple days before Christmas, there, the power had gone out, you know, typical big winter storm in Syracuse. We fell asleep with the candles lit, and uh, something caught fire, and the whole, the whole house caught on fire. And my brother and I both sleep like rocks, so all the fire alarms are going off. My mom's freaking out and my brother and I are just sound asleep in our bedroom so she runs in shakes us you know the whole house is filled with smoke so we get on our bellies and we, we crawl out of the house tree burned down all our Christmas presents burned um we spent Christmas in a in a motel six it was really cute I have like some nice memories from it too though like uh I ended up being um becoming good friends later in life with a girl who was in my class that year and she was like oh I remember our teacher our teacher had everyone bring in a Christmas ornament for you that year because you had lost all of yours. Still have all these, you know, all these, all these ornaments. But um, yeah, that 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 was a little nuts. So that that was one of the reasons we moved. But um, it was it was a pretty significant fire. I have this teddy bear that I've had since uh, my uncle gave it to me when I was baptized. So I was very very young. His name is Regan because apparently my my uncle's girlfriend at the time really liked President Reagan and named <laughs> my bear Regan. Uh, Kind of, I, don't, I don't know about that, but um, I was in love with this bear and he got, got kind of ruined from the smoke damage. So they sent him to a dry cleaner and they dry cleaned him and he came back just nappy. You couldn't see his eyes anymore, but I still have him. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I love, I love Regan. Regan's you still have him to this day? Regan is literally on my bed right now. I was so attached to this bear when I was a kid. I swear it was legitimate. <laughs> if I, if I slept with him, everything was okay. If I didn't sleep with him, I would have nightmares. So like my dad used to take us hiking all the time and backpacking. And when I would go backpacking and take Regan with me because I thought I would have nightmares if I didn't sleep with him. Wow. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't plan on getting into this too much later, but now I have to ask, what does Josh think about sleeping with Regan? Oh, Josh is good. Josh, we have, we have two stuffed animals on the bed. We have Regan and uh, he, we got a goat from Ikea that we named Lucifer. Because <laughs> Because goat's eyes look like devil eyes. So uh, Josh Josh and I sleep with Regan and Lucifer. Well, that's good to know. Sometimes I always get up before Josh. So uh, just to just to mess with them, I'll put the, the goat and the bear next to him when I get out of the bed. And the Josh you guys are talking about there is the open weight king of Pancrase, the former UFC heavyweight champion, 
Josh Barnett. You'll always see him around uh, supporting Colleen uh, on campus, Wayne, etc., as she gets ready to fight in Invicta Fighting Championships. Uh, let's talk about her opponent, Tanya Evinger. Tell me about her story growing up. Well, her story of growing up in the little town of Odessa, Missouri is, let's say, a little less prosaic. Little town, um, pretty much nothing to do. Uh, all I do is play sports, so... It was either play sports or have babies, and I chose sports. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So a lot of your friends uh, got pregnant young then? No, I don't think they got young, uh, like pregnant young, but I just think it's like everybody either settles down and has kids, and or, you know, I was like one of the ones that just ran as soon as I was old enough, ran off and, and did my own thing and, and had fun and, and tried to uh, push it as far as I can. Was there an issue with you taking up sports? Because I know you obviously you went on the wrestling team in high school, and uh, I think you were the only girl on the team, right? Yeah, definitely. What was it like uh, winning acceptance of the boys on the team? Was that an issue at all? Uh, you know, I think from day one, I was like already kicking the shit out of some of the guys who've been training for like ten years and stuff. They they grew up wrestling. I think it just it was one of them things that I just I just understand, and and I grew up roughhousing and and you know i i never i had two younger brothers and they didn't want to play with me they had their little car sets and they they had enough with each other and then my older sister played with dolls so it was kind of like what the hell do i do so i yeah. i would get on my bike and i would ride down and miles away to find kids and and, and boys my age playing football and and causing a ruckus and and that's what i did so you know i i do like that physical contact i i think i reason I couldn't play all the other sports you know I wasn't a pumpkin pusher because I couldn't stop putting my hands on people you know I just I I had it was just so boring playing these other sports and, and the girls events were so boring and mm. I just wasn't into it so Odessa is it kind of blue collar is it poor is it middle class it was it's just a really small town you know you had a couple people in a town that, that had a lot of money and then everybody else kind of you know, struggling, making ends meet, and, and you know, just uh, everybody's just, you know, surviving. <laughs> My parents always uh, owned business, you know, they always owned an excavating business, and, and um, you know, they just, uh, my dad worked, and my mom ran the business side of it, and you know, I, I grew up with my dad not wanting us to do anything. We weren't allowed to do anything. And, and my mom, you know, had played sports growing up. So she definitely was into that. And, and she kind of pushed me. And, and, you know, we hid the fact that I was off playing these sports and stuff from my dad. And then, you know, obviously, finally, it had to come out. And that was the first thing he wanted to have something to say about when when things weren't going right, you know, and, and mm -hmm. he was mad because we weren't home or mad because something didn't get done. And it's all about our stupid sports and waste of time and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, I just, I'm thankful that my mom was, was real supportive and took me to all these events and, and helped me to get to where I am, you know, so we hit it a little bit, but, uh, you know, obviously you can't hide it too long. He wants to know where the hell we're going and, and uh, why we're going out of town and this and that. And, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And I wanted to do certain things. And I think I would, I would just bug them and bug them and bug them until they, you know, I finally broke them. My dad would whoop my ass because I'd drive him crazy. And my mom would be like, damn it, fine, we're going to do it. So you had to be like an advocate for yourself then. They didn't see much of an upside in, in you getting involved with the sports? Uh, you know, my mom, my mom just was real supportive about it all. She's, she's one of them uh, moms that when you get involved in anything, and she just is 100%, man, 100% all support, always there, every meet, doing whatever she can to, to – 
to do it. But I think that, you know, her being an athlete herself, she really understood it and, and she liked it and she loved to watch her kids succeed and stuff. And, you know, my dad was the one that, that didn't really give a shit and wasn't, we weren't, you know, it wasn't his deal. And, you know, it, and now it's still kind of the same way. He'll he'll talk a lot of crap about it, but, you know, then, then you got people coming like, like, oh, man, your daughter's doing so good and this and that. And, and, of course, then he wants to brag about us, but, you know, it was never, it was never, him that that pushed us or or supported us in any way or anything like that so you know it's it's definitely uh all to give credit to my mom for sure so this takes us back to that story where we heard tanya knocking out dudes in bars how did that end up resolving itself? Well, um, let's just say the cops came. So the cops are like, what happened? I was like, well, it's obvious what happened. Here's our car. Their car's two cars up facing the other way, driving away from us. Uh, both doors are still open. The dude's shirt's ripped off halfway, and the dude's laid out by me. So, I mean, obviously, the story writes itself, you know. I was covered in the dude's blood. Cops were, like, telling the ambulance dude, like, rinse her, rinse her, that blood off her. And the ambulance was like, we don't, we ain't going to open a whole thing of this water stuff to rinse her. And they're like, and, and the cop's like, I ain't, like, you better rinse her off right now. So they made him open all this shit and rinse all this blood off of me and shit. And then they asked, actually asked me if I wanted a job. <laughs> Uh, in the police yeah, department? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny. They're like, well, at least we know you can handle yourself, you know? I guess you said no, huh? Yeah, the job. yeah I mean, I, I got a bachelor's in criminal justice, actually, so I get away with a little bit. But I, my parents owned a racetrack. They ended up building a racetrack later on, uh, a couple years later, and, and I ended up being head of security for them. So I would let all the cops come in, and I would be friends with them all, like, hey, come in. Yeah, bring your families. My family has a bad rap with the cops. If you got my last name then obviously you're a bad person. You fight. You're known for fighting and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every time I get in a fight, it would be at a bar. And, I mean, one time I ended up knocking two girls out, and I was on crutches, I had a broken foot, and I had wore this big Afro wig, totally horrible outfit for the night, but I didn't care. And I go in with their, all my buddies, and we make it about 15 feet in the door, and I see all these guys I wrestled with in high school, and they're like, hey, what happened? What's up with your foot? And we're all talking. And my buddy from that wrestled me in high school, he's like, man, I put – I'll put money on the, this girl any day. She beat up any bitch in this motherfucker. Well, this girl overhears it, and she's, like, pretty thick. Like, she must lift weights or something because she was pretty thick, and all of a sudden she got right in my face, and she's like, I'll take that bet. And my my buddy's like, all right. He's like, I got $100 on it. And I'm thinking, wow. what the hell, man? I'm like, I'm on these crutches. I have a broken-ass foot. Like, you're trying to fight me? Like, seriously? And I just got a smile, and I'm kind of laughing, and my girlfriend's like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. I should whoop your ass, you know. And my buddy's like, I got 100 bucks. He's like, I'll split it with you when I win this money. I said, all right. And so the girl's like, I said, but we got to go outside because I don't want to go to jail, obviously. I'm like, we got to go outside. And she's like, yeah, but you can't use the crutches. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with these crutches? Like, And my girlfriend's like, she doesn't matter when she gets you on the ground because my girlfriend's just a little bit drunk by the time. She's in the front of me, and she wrestles too. Like, She wrestled on the national team. She was a stud. And so she's in a little bit, gets in front of us. And she's like, well, she gets you on the ground. She don't need her fuck crutches. She gets on the ground. You're fucked. And the girl like went to shove her, and that was it. Boom, I dropped her. Out cold. She's out cold. And my buddy goes to grab me, grabs my hair, thinking he's going to grab my hair and pull me up. Well, that wig comes right off my head. <laughs> <laughs> so he throws ditches the wig, and then he grabs me up. 
Well, the bouncer comes over to grab a hold of me. Well, my girlfriend jumps on the bouncer's back because he's wearing normal clothes, a head bouncer. He was just in there partying that night. It was his day off. So she grabs him on his back, man, and she had him fucking wrapped up, legs in. He couldn't do shit. She had him laid out on his back. She had his back, and he was like, get this bitch up. I mean, he's trying to get up, but she's a national level, number one in the country, like a badass freestyle wrestler. He ain't getting her off of him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And by this time, I stood up, and I remember my foot hurt so bad. And I stood up, and I look over, and this girl, we must have bumped into these people. And it's like four, four guys and this one girl. And she's like, they all have these beads on because this bar is called Mardi Gras, I guess. Everybody has beads. And she's like, you fucking bitch, because I, I guess we bumped in, dropped her drink on her. And she takes like one step to me, boom, plastered her, split her forehead wide open. She knocks out on the ground. And I look. I remember looking up at her buddies, and she was knocked out too. I knocked two girls out in like less than twenty seconds. It was so crazy. And I remember looking at her buddies, and they were. Just, they didn't say nothing. They didn't fucking help her. They didn't say mm. nothing. They just left mm. her there. No bouncers grabbed me. They all were worried about this manager being on the ground because he can't get away from this girl. So they grab my girlfriend up. They throw her out. I never even got thrown out. And I go out to the parking lot, and my buddies. I have a guy from my wrestling team on each side, and I'm limping and I'm like my fucking foot because my girlfriend just got kicked out I didn't even tell my brothers or my buddies they went turn a corner and went in to play pool well they saw this commotion and they're like oh shit that's probably Tanya so they come outside and this bouncer has my girlfriend on the ground face down knee on his back and he's a big dude and she's like I can't breathe I can't breathe I can't breathe and she's like get off me and I'm like get the fuck off her and my brother comes out and grabs me he's like Tanya stop 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 by this time they called the cops. They're just waiting for the cops to come, and they're just going to arrest my girlfriend. That's the only person they realized that was in the fight is my girlfriend, who wasn't even actually in the fight. <laughs> so this girl that I knocked out, I split her forehead open. She comes out stumbling out with her buddies, and they see me kind of freaking out. I don't think that they realized I was the one that knocked her out. And I'm freaking out because she's saying she can't breathe. I'm like, let her up, let her up. Well, these guys that come out with this girl I knocked out, they see me freaking out, and they start rushing this bouncer. Well, the bouncer stands up because there's like three of them dudes. Bouncer stands up and my girlfriend gets up and my brother's like, run. So she takes off running across this field where these cops come down all the way down this road and make a left. Completely miss her because she's crossing the field where they just come from. And she is gone. So then these cops get there and the bouncers don't know who the fuck was in the fight. They just know this girl's bleeding to death. Another girl that I knocked out, she she's gone already. I don't know where she went. And the one girl's like, they're like, who hit you? And she sees me. And she's like, that bitch. And so they grab me. And then here comes this cop that I always let in the racetrack, you know, that I'm always cool with. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I, I was like, I don't know, man. I, I'm over here. She, this girl comes at me. Like I, like it was just a fight in there. She, she came at me and I, I hit her and he's like, man, don't hang out here. This place is trouble and all this kind of stuff. He's like, give me your driver. He's like, who took your driver's license? And I said, that guy over there. So he goes over and he gets my driver's license from that cop. So the one cop gets my ID and he brings it over. And the other cop's like, what's your name? And I said, Tanya. And these guys that are with her, I guess her name was Tanya. These guys that are with her start freaking out. And they start coming at me. Like the cops are right there and everything. They're coming at me. And they're like, first they accuse me of putting a cast on my leg. That cast is fake. And I put that cast on there outside. And I was like, my, my foot's broken. I think I put a, came out here and put a cast on my fucking foot. And so the they're, the guys are coming at me. And I'm like, see what I'm talking about? See, see, see. Like they're getting all aggressive. And they're like, you fucking bitch. That ain't your name. They think I'm like saying I'm their friend and shit. Because we have yeah. the same name. So they're fucking tripping out like I'm pulling some big scam on the police. 
Well, the cop, the cops see that now that they're aggressive. So the cops grab a hold of them, and the one cop brings my ID. He's like, "Get out of here, man! Don't get in trouble. I don't want to see you here. Like this is a bad place to hang out." So they end up letting me go. I thank God I got off every time I've gotten in trouble. <laughs> So as we learn more about these formative life experiences, we know that Evinger and Schneider both pick paths to mixed martial arts. Uh, let's figure out why this is the case. Let's start with Colleen. Well, for her, it was, um, it was an outgrowth of her Taekwondo training in some ways. And shortly after connecting with Gilbert Melendez's camp in the Bay Area, uh, Colleen had her first fight booked. Uh, my first mixed martial arts fight was for Tough Enough in Las Vegas. So at that point, I was... Uh, I was living in Oakland, and I was training with Scrap Pack under Gilbert Melendez um, back in his old gym. It was in San Francisco, and, like, the downstairs was matted, and the back was a kitchen, and the upstairs was was where he slept, right? Mm. So, like, it was his home, mm-hmm. and we and we just all trained there. <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. He has a really nice, you know, bigger facility now, but th- this was before that. So it was Gilbert Melendez and Jake Shields. I had also trained with Jake Shields at his – he opened a gym in Berkeley, so I would worked with him a lot there, and – uh. It was all scrap pack, right? So we'd go, we'd train with Cesar Gracie and Nick and Nate Diaz. And uh, we were also associated with Fairtex and Jung Sanon did a lot of the striking, the Muay Thai coach there. Um, so it was a really, a really phenomenal crew of people to work with and to, to develop under. And my first fight was for Tough Enough in Las Vegas. Um, I, you know what? I honestly don't even remember the girl's name anymore. I fought two girls in Tough Enough. One was Kylie Martin, but she was the second one. I can't remember the name of the first one. But um, through a couple strikes, she stepped in on me. I hip tossed her, mounted her, ground and pounded her, and it was done. Like it, it felt like it happened in two seconds. But I, it's funny. The thing I remember most from that fight is being backstage with my coach, and they put the gloves on me, and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome. These are so tiny. I can't believe I get to go out there and hit someone as hard as I want with these little gloves on. This is so cool." <laughs> <laughs> Let's fast forward to your second pro fight. Um, certainly not a small stage. Strikeforce Challengers, Showtime, Liz Carmouche. So that fight was, was yeah, it was a tournament and two three-minute rounds against Liz Carmouche. The Carmouche fight in Strikeforce was an early flashpoint in Schneider's career. It got her on television in only her second pro fight. Gilbert had had a baby right before the fight, so my teammate Jordan, but we all called him Ninja, went down there with me and cornered me. I was still pretty, pretty new to the sport at that point. Um, this feels so long ago now. Man, yeah, I feel like I've been doing this forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, 2010, I mean, that is six years ago. That's In MMA, that's that's a lifetime ago. I, I was still a lot more raw with my with my technique, not very mm-hmm. polished. But um, she won the first round, and I think I won the second round. But she was more aggressive, and, and they had told us before, if the rounds are split, the judges are just going to decide who wins because you guys only get to fight two rounds. So they called the fight for her. But we were a, we were a reserve bout for the women's tournament that night that Misha Tate ended up winning, um, you know, a reserve bout in case someone was injured. I remember one of the one of the coolest things about that was that um, Hitomi Akano was on the card and Megumi Fuji was cornering her. And... Uh, Megumi Fuji, I think, is still one of the, one of the best fighters of all time. And I'm not saying female fighters; I'm just saying fighters. Like Megumi is amazing, um, and I don't really ever fangirl out about people, uh, but I totally fangirled out for Megumi. <laughs> I was so excited to be there fighting on an event, an event that she was a, a part of in some way. Where do you remember women's MMA kind of being at the time of that fight in 2010 and getting getting onto a televised fight uh, versus today? You know, what, what seemed like the state of female MMA? It's always been basically like five years behind where the men have been in the sport, right? So at that point, um, 
it was a pretty big deal to to be able to be a part of that that tournament and to to fight for strike force because there was no women in the UFC then so strike force was basically in the states the the biggest platform on which uh, a woman could could fight uh so it was a uh, yeah it was it was a, it was a pretty big deal and of course Liz Carmouche would go on to inaugurate female mixed martial arts in the UFC at the historic UFC 157 against Ronda Rousey. Colleen was there. Dude, I remember I remember being at that fight when Carmouche and Rousey fought, sitting in the audience and crying because it was just, I was like, this this is it. We're finally being allowed to do this. This, this is just this bullshit about women not being allowed you know, to fight in this organization. It's finally done and over and we're here. And it, it was just so, it felt so significant and momentous. And it just, I hadn't even realized how, how, how sexist it was before that, you know, it was just kind of like, well, we can't do that, whatever. We'll just go do what we can. But being allowed, it being allowed, finally having women in the UFC kind of, for me, struck a chord of just how absolutely insane it was that it hadn't been allowed before um and the fact that that had finally happened i I actually like cried when when they fought and jack i need to know what did tanya evinger think about this i mean she'd been in the sport for so much longer than colleen Uh, what did triple threat think of that first ufc female fight well another thing to laugh about the only thing that really offended me is they say carmouche is the first out girl Bullshit, I've been gay a lot longer, and I've been gay publicly a lot longer. Like, fuck you, I, that's me. So, you know, that was the only thing about that. But other than that, it's like in another one of them times, and, and I can't even say that that's more disappointing than it is now, watching these girls get signed with UFC and make all this money and get all this sponsorship money and get all this fucking success and doing all these things when um, I feel like they didn't put in the time and, you know, it's, but do I, do I really need to be jealous about that? That's just going to bring me down. You know, I, I'm more happy about where I'm at and what I'm doing. And, and, uh, you know, it just, I couldn't ask for more. So it didn't feel like any kind of moment for female MMA when you saw the first UFC fight. Nah, you know, I knew it was a matter of time for that happening. Wow. So Tanya is a little bit jaded now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, she's seen a lot of different sides of this sport in her time. Suffice it to say, you know, the promoters, and the players in the female MMA space back in 2006, um, much different than in 2016 when, you know, mixed martial arts can actually be a bona fide career option uh, for a extremely talented female mixed martial arts fighter. So 10 years ago, I mean, you really didn't know what you were getting yourself into when you signed on to fight. I get obsessed with stuff and I'll start to research it and I couldn't find out what the hell this sport was called, you know, and and my friend's like, come out here. She wrestled with me, you know, for do college and all stuff. She's like, this is awesome. I'm learning this jujitsu stuff. And so, you know, my first day in there, I, I kicked the shit out of her. She's like, what the hell? I've been training this for months. And, like, you come in here and beat me. And, like, what the hell? Like, she just, I just, like, this shit just comes to me. And and then she had a, a boxing, a guy that knew boxing. And obviously I look back now and I'm like, these. I trained with people that didn't know what the hell they were doing. You know what I mean? Right. And and I would research online, and I would look, and I would ask people, and nobody knew, I, how the hell do you get to hold these promoters? How do you get on these fights? How do you, like, I, I had so many questions that nobody could answer. And and I would look it up and try to figure it out, and I would email people, but you couldn't find, I mean, back in that day, there was nothing online even really about it, you know, and it was just tough, and I ended up training with all these yahoos, and and 
and just these goofballs for like a couple years and then I'm like this sport sucks like this really sucks I I can't find a fight there's mm-hmm. like two girls I've ever found names of that actually fight and and I don't even know how to get a hold of them or how to get a fight with them or anything and obviously like it was I was like this sport sucks man so I quit after like two years of kind of just training off and on in people's garages and stuff and then they I end up going to a fight that um, friend of mine, she was dating this fighter, and we ended up going to Southern California and, and going to this fight, and uh, this promoter was there, and we, I meet him and stuff, and he's like, oh, I got this girl, Jen Howe, and, you know, you can fight her, and all, and my friend's like, I'll fight anybody, you know, and I was like, yeah, 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 I'll fight, I'll fight anybody you want, like, I don't care, let's, let's just, I'll fight, and, you know, and that went on for a while, never heard anything, never heard anything, and, you know, I ended up quitting, and I probably quit this sport so many times, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, then he just calls me one day and says, you want to fight? And, you know, it's going to be sanctioned here in California. And I ended up being the first girl ever to be sanctioned in the state of California for a fight. And and I, I trained for it. I really trained for it. And it was like in 2006. And then this mm-hmm. girl pulls out the week of, like a couple days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, here I am again. Like, screw this sport. Screw this yep. shit. Like, this yep. is a joke, man. Like I, I can't even find any. Like this is a joke. So I quit again, and then a long time went by, and I just was, you know, going in and wrestling with the college team. And my buddy was a college uh, wrestling coach, and I would just go in and wrestle with them and jack around with them and stuff. And but I ended up getting a call from a guy I met at that that promotion. He was mm-hmm. partners with that that promoter, and he ended up calling me first, and he says, "Hey, I got this fight." Uh, I want you to come up here to Oregon and take this fight. And I was like, all right, cool. And he mm. tells me 500 bucks. And, and I said, all right, like, hell yeah, I'll fight somebody for 500 bucks. So I go up there and, and I ended up like TKOing this girl in like 40, 50 seconds. And and he pays me $500 and then he comes chase me down. I'm leaving the building and he's like, here's my your, other, your win bonus. And I was like, what the? Fuck, I get another five hundred dollars? Like I made a thousand fucking dollars for beating this bitch up. I was like, what the hell? And then here I go again, no fights, nothing, nothing. And so I quit and uh I quit training. I just I'm that type of person that gets bored. If I'm not competing enough, I get really, really bored and burn out. And so that that promoter that I met very first, he calls me and he says, Hey, this girl that backed out on you, you know, she'll fight you. She'll fight you, uh, and it's in four days, and I was like, you know, I don't know. I haven't really been training or anything. I don't. I still don't know shit at this point. And uh, my girlfriend at times like, dude, you not guys out in bars. Like, fight these girls. And so I was like, all right, I'll take it. I was in the back, and I got this weird feeling, and I tell my coach. And this is one of them guys that trains in the garage, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I'm telling him, I'm like, something's wrong. Like, I feel like not like myself. I don't like my, I feel like I can't control my body and shit ain't like just, it's a dream. He's like, man, it's just, you're, all your senses are heightened. It's it's all your senses are heightened. Senses are, senses are heightened and you're ready to go and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, all right, I guess this is what I'm supposed to feel like. And I ended up going in and that girl really was training, obviously. She knew something. And I ended up balls to the wall for I don't know how many rounds. And then I get caught in this triangle choke. And I was so dead tired. I'm like, I'm surprised I was even breathing anyway. And mm-hmm. I ended up getting choked out. And um, and it was a little amateur fight. And, and out in a field in California, unsanctioned and shit. And um, 
and I was pissed. I was pissed. So a year after she debuted, Tanya faces budding superstar Gina Carano in Elite XC. Amateur may be relatively new to mixed martial arts, but what she lacks in experience, she more than makes up for with pure guts. This world-class wrestling phenom has added boxing to her MMA skill set, and tonight she plans to stand tall and deliver a knockout message to MMA's resident knockout, Gina Carano. Uh, perhaps that fight's the most well-known uh, of her career before arriving here in Invicta. Yeah, and that's for a variety of reasons shall we say. Uh, she lost that night via rear naked choke in the first round, but it was actually a comment she made before the fight in a press conference that really took the web by storm. said I'd rather make out with Gina Carano, but instead I'm going to have to knock her out. Quote, I'd like to make out with Gina, but I am here to knock her out. Either way she wants it, though, is fine with me. Now, Gina took that in stride. She actually handled it masterfully really and famously even partied with Evanger after the fight at a gay bar and some still photographs of that night also took the internet by storm I actually asked Colleen Schneider what she thought about that and if the kind of things Evanger says at all crossed her mind you know getting ready to fight a lesbian now, pardon me Colleen if this is if this is weird but it's just going to be something that people get asked when they fight Tanya Evanger um, you know, in the past, uh, you think about the Gina fight and her infamous remarks about being a lesbian. Tell me if that plays for you at all. How is it to fight a lesbian as a straight woman? Oh, it's not. It's nothing at all. It doesn't matter. Plus, you're also assuming I'm straight. You don't know. I could be anything. Well, you, you're with Josh. I'm with Josh. I could be bi. You don't know. You, you know, I am. That's right. I make assumptions. Oh. And I'm just, I'm a, bad, I'm a bad guy is the problem. No, it's, it's a, a people generally make such assumptions. Um, well, can you, can you tell me? Uh, are you straight or are you bi? <laughs> I just like people. Um, anything Tanya says, I mean, if she's saying something like that, she's saying it, you know, she's saying it because it's fucking, it's, it's funny, it's entertaining, and maybe she's saying it to fuck with you, but I don't think that crosses her mind in the least when she's fighting. Look at, look at her when she's fighting. She's not thinking about anything sexual at all, right? No, nobody is. You get in there and you fight. If you say that shit before, it's, you know, you get some some pop, some entertainment value out of it, but it's nothing more than that. There's no substance to it. I've always kind of been a character, and I do things. Uh, I ain't necessarily as crazy as I act sometimes. I do things for the shock factor. I say things to to shock people, and I say things to to make headlines. And and it was obvious in Elite XC, like I would make headlines over the main event because it's just some stupid shit I said. And, you know, she is, she's hot. I don't care what you say. She is hot, and she has some nice titties, and she's hot, all right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I think it, it was a situation where I was going to fight on this big card, and I know they're bringing me in to lose and this and that. And I just, I just uh, you know, I, I trained the wrong way. I trained with the wrong people. I, I trained with the wrong idea. The, the coaches I trained with had the wrong idea of my game, and my mentally I wasn't prepared for a stage that big and, and everything that could go wrong did go wrong that fight. And, you know, I just, I, would, I just try to make everything as funny as possible. In my interviews back in the day, I would, I wouldn't answer questions. They'd ask me questions about MMA and everything I talked about was rubbing my boobs on the cage and this and that, and just yeah, completely yeah. inappropriate shit because <laughs> I didn't want that, that pressure. And I still kind of like mm. that. I don't want to, I don't want that pressure talking about my fight. Like, obviously I'm about to fight. Like, we're going to see what's going to happen. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Like, you know, yeah. so uh, can I get an interview that's, that's something crazy? Ask me some crazy stuff. Let's have a conversation that's funny. Like, and I'm a jokester. So, you know, I said that just out of fun, you know, and she's, she's cute. And, 
you know, I, I just uh, I just like to make a little bit of a scene. I, I think it all came down to I went there. It was a big show. I didn't feel like they I got any respect or any love. I'll, they, it was all about Gina. Everything was all about Gina. She didn't make weight. They didn't give a shit that she didn't make weight. Then I try to renegotiate my contract. My manager didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He tells me there's no choice and just is what it is. And now I wish I would have been like, well, then suck a dick because I won't fight. And there goes mm-hmm. like that big fight. You're obviously going to pay me more, you know. And, and now I, I realize that from just experiences of shit like this happening. But at the time, I didn't know. And my manager was supposed to be the one that knew this shit. And he was such a pussy that it was pathetic. So she didn't make weight. Then it just it was just so much shit that happened. And then when I got there, they put me in the locker room. And then they come in when I'm trying to warn them, oh, no, this ain't your locker room. We're going to move you over here because Gina wants this locker room. So then I go over there. And they're like, nah, you can't be in this locker room because of this reason. So then they moved me outside. I actually had to warm up outside at Hawaii. Why all these other fighters are inside warming up. I had to warm up outside, right outside the door. In the fucking heat and all the shit. I felt so disrespected and so fucking like, why the fuck am I even here? Like, why am mm-hmm. I here? And then I remember thinking, like, my guy just had me doing jujitsu. I just, I didn't train the right way, man. I, I just, nothing was right for me. I wasn't there. And, and then when I went in and fought, and I remember taking her down, and I remember being in side control and thinking, this is too easy. That, that was too easy. She ain't very strong. She didn't hit very hard. I remember thinking, this is too easy. Three three-minute rounds in the distaff division. The undefeated Gina Conviction Carano taking on... Tanya Evinger. Evinger already landing a right hand of the takedown into side control on Carano, and this is one place where Gina Carano admittedly does not want to be. Her, it was funny because her cornerman was one of that has coached me in fights before, and I used to go out and train with him. And it was weird. We were right in her corner, and everything he was telling her to do, I was letting her do. Put your hook in, and I get up and let her put her hook in. Carano's got her back, and what can Gina Carano do here? Well, she should put the leg hooks in, go for the rear naked choke, and that's what she's doing. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then I remember, you know, it was a fucking, I just remember thinking, I don't want to be here anymore. And then she got this choke, and I wasn't even being choked. That's the fucked up part. I wasn't even being choked. And these are regrets that I'll never get over. And this is the reason I fight the way I do today. And this is the reason I say things the way I say today. And I don't hold shit back because the regrets, I I hold on to these regrets for years and forever. And I cannot let them go. I can't stop thinking about them. And it makes me angry inside. And I'm angry at myself for not doing what I should have done and what I thought I should have done at that moment, you know. And then I remember her getting this choke and I remember hearing that 10 second thing slap and I remember thinking I don't want to go in the second round. Like I just felt so overwhelmed and so much pressure and so much shit like they didn't want me to win. I just tapped out. I didn't want to be in there. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the time of 2 minutes 53 seconds in round number one. A rear naked choke ends this contest as the fighter taps out. She is the winner by way of submission and still undefeated, Gina Corona. So, Jack, the fact that Tanya is a lesbian has come up several times. Do you think that's an overplayed aspect of who she is? Yeah, perhaps. But, you know, if you make a big deal about people making a big deal about it, you'd, you'd kind of be at odds with how Tanya Evinger herself sees it. Considering where she comes from, she's always had to wear this loud and proud. 
Tanya, when did you know that you were a lesbian? Uh, forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forever. forever in a day, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think I just uh, grew up in a town that it just you know wasn't accepted, and and my dad was you know everything you could think of. He's racist, homophobic, uh, prejudiced, uh, everything. You know, he's always got something nasty to say about everybody. You know, and um, so I I definitely at the time of growing up, I just think that it was you know. I, I never really thought about it. And now that I look back at it, you know, I'm like, fuck, I was gay forever. But mm-hmm. then I just, I didn't, I didn't ever, you know, I wasn't really attracted to guys. I wasn't really like uh, into it. And I just, you know, I, and I remember I always played guy sports and all the guys would talk about the girls like this slut did this and this, I did this or this bitch. And I remember thinking like, dude, I will never, ever have, you guys in high school will never have anything to say about me ever. Mm-hmm. Like because mm-hmm. I'm here on this wrestling team and I'm, here on the football team with the guys and I'm here on all this shit playing with the guys teams and like you guys are never going to say that about me so I, I never was down like to to do anything crazy in high school and then I you know my mom and dad didn't have very much money so my mom was like if you want to go to college you know you've got to get a scholarship and I've always been that runner I'm the one just like I said when I was young man I would go mm-hmm. and find friends so I've kind of always been that 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 gypsy that runner that black sheep that I don't settle anywhere. I just go and go and go and find new interesting things to do. And I travel and I go. If I need to go somewhere because I think I need to train or it's a good opportunity, I just go. I pack up my car and I just go. Did there come a moment where you told your parents? Uh, you know, I, when I went to college, I remember going to college and I remember thinking, like, nobody here knows me, so I can be whoever the fuck I want. Like, I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about people judging me or or judging me because I, I think I'm this later. I think I'm that later. And people make a judgment. I'm just going to be who I am right off the bat. And, you know, high school's rough. You know, you got to – it's almost like these kids think that high school is life. And, and there's so much drama and it affects their whole life. And, man, high school is a, such a joke, you know. And it's just such a joke and you realize it when you get older. And, and I think that college having so much freedom to, to be able to be friends with who you want. You don't have to see everybody all the time and people that you hate and – you don't get along with and you know you don't have to hang out with them you don't have to take classes with them you don't have to you know people are doing their own thing so it's it's not really the same so when I went to college I definitely um I definitely knew that I was just going to be me and you know I started dating a girl and and I just did what I did you know I bring girls home and they hang out with me and you know maybe my family was naive at first thinking that they're my friends but you know, I, I remember my brothers and my brother would say, I know, Tanya, I know. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know what, Chris? And he's like, I just know. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, man, what do you know? And he's like, never mind. And like, they would try to get me to admit it or something. And, and then one time my sister would be in the car, made a comment. My sister's like, oh my God, you're not gay, are you? And I was mm. just like, man, shut the fuck up. <laughs> And then she walked in on me and my girlfriend one time, and I'm like, well, I mean, I guess the jig's up. Like, everybody (laughs) knows. And then uh, it was just like a thing where I don't need to tell anybody anything. I don't need to explain myself to them. If they don't understand and they can't get it, then, oh, well, it's their their problem. And then, you know, my mom was taking me to – I decided I'm going to go to California one time, and I'm fly out and hang out with my girlfriend. And, you know, I never came came out and said, this is my girlfriend, and I'm dating a girl. And my mom's driving me there, and in – She's saying, like, she always had a problem with my girlfriend at the time, you know, or my friend. She didn't like, like, always getting arguments with my friend. Well, it's because she's my girlfriend, and she has opinions on how I should be and what I should be doing, and my mom doesn't always agree. My mom's got my back 24-7, you know, so 
my mom and her would get in arguments all the time, and she'd be like, I don't know why you're doing this and going here, and then, and then, and then, you stay home, and, and I was like, Mom, uh, she's my girlfriend, and I'm gay, and my mom started crying, driving me, <laughs> and she's oh, like, what am I supposed to tell people? What the fuck am I supposed to tell people when they ask me? And don't you know how that makes me feel? And I was just like, I don't care. I don't care. Yep. I don't care what you have to say to people. I don't care what my fucking aunt says. I don't care what your friends think. I don't care what any of you guys think. I don't care. I'm sorry it embarrasses you, but I don't give a shit. And then she dropped me off the airport and, you know, it was a never, you know, I think. And she still, my brother tells me today still, she's like, my brother's like, mom's always saying it. I wish Tanya would just meet a guy. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I'll tell my uh-huh. mom, like, Mom, Chris told me about how you telling him that you wish I would meet a guy. And she's like, I do not say that anymore. Obviously, I know you're not going to meet a guy. And I'm like, Mom, he said you said it just last week. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, he's so lying. And I'm like, I just, you know, you know, she just, I don't know. It's a town in the area we grew up in. But, you know, obviously, my my family and, and you know, my cousins and my aunts, and my uncles and everybody's kind of had stuff to say about it, but I just don't give a shit. I'm that person in my family that don't give a shit what anybody thinks of me. And I, I'm like that kind of in life, you know? I don't give a shit what you think about me or, or what you think about what I'm gonna do, you know? I have, you know, I obviously don't wanna be, you know, the, the one person everybody's talking shit about. I, I gotta do some things to fit in in life, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, man. It doesn't even matter to me what you fucking think or, or your opinion of me and this and that, you know, so. Now, Colleen had a small fissure with her mom as well growing up, though it was at a much younger age and not at all about sexual orientation. Went to church at a... I think a, a Methodist, you know, Methodist Christian church in Syracuse and did Sunday school and, you know, all, all that jazz. It had never been presented to me as this is just one particular option. It had just been presented to me as this is how things are. So I had never thought to question it. And then uh, I, I remember very distinctly in fourth grade, I had the most uh, amazing teacher ever. I, I, I love the guy, um, Mr. DiSalvo, but he, uh, he made some comment and referenced God, and then he just simply said, if that's what you believe. And it's, it was literally like someone just threw a fucking brick at my head. Mm. Um, I, I stood outside the classroom, and I was like, huh, if that's what you believe. And then I just start, you know, started thinking about it. Well, do I believe this? And you know, I was like, well, no, I never really did. I was just told this and went along with it, and it's a rather silly idea, and I could understand how it was useful before you know we had the understanding of science that we have today but uh it's 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 just kind of antiquated and it's just a thing people hold on to because culturally that's what we do but uh i decided i wasn't going to say anything for a while so i still went to church and i I was kind of curious to see what i would think of service and of the talks we had at church with this new perspective and so it was basically like me doing a little research right so for a few weeks i went and listened to everything and i was like okay yeah i i feel i feel how i feel and you know, I, I don't choose, I don't wish to participate in this anymore. So the next week, uh, my mom was <laughs> we're standing there with with the the guy she was dating at the time and his kids and my brother, and she's like, "All right, time to go get ready for church." And I just said, oh, "Mom, I'm not gonna go." Why? I uh, I knew she wasn't gonna be happy about it. I'm just not gonna go, Mom. No, you have to. You have. So this went back and forth, and then finally, why aren't you gonna go? I don't believe in God, Mom. And she got so mad. 
chased me around the house. I locked myself in the garage so she couldn't get to me. <laughs> You're going to be praying to God pretty soon, yeah, even if you right? don't believe. <laughs> she eventually calmed down. And, and I think at this point in her life, she, her and I are, are fairly on the same page about that kind of thing. But uh, in fourth grade, she was not very happy with me for claiming that. <laughs> Jack, as these ladies' careers progress, they cross paths, actually in the set of uh, season 18 of The Ultimate Fighter, I believe. Yes, both went out for the Rousey-Tate season, which of course was the first to feature women. Both lost their qualifying fights, Schneider to future good friend and, in fact, pro wrestling opponent Shayna Baszler via first-round armbar, and Evinger to Raquel Pennington via second-round guillotine. The outcomes were similar of those fights, but the way they look back on the experience really isn't. We got locked in a hotel room for a few days, you know, the typical reality show thing. They, they take away any form of communication. And uh, um, it's interesting because you go in, you know, assuming you're going to win, you're going to get on the house. You have to leave, you leave your life behind, assuming that you're going to be gone for two months, you know. So you, you make all these preparations, you get everything ready. Um, and then it's awkward when you come back in a few days. It's like... I can't say what happened, but fucking obviously I lost. <laughs> How is that? Dealing with people, not being able to tell them the whole story, but, you know, there's well, there always... Isn't, there isn't much of a story, right? Because I didn't get on the house. The story is just that I lost the fight, which I'm, I'm not allowed to say anything at that point. So all I say is I can't say anything. But obviously, if I'm back that soon, it's because I didn't did not get on the house and didn't win the fight. But uh, it was, I think, a lot of the people that they had wanted on the house didn't, didn't end up winning their fights um, and didn't end up making it into the house, which is why I think when they did the 115ers, they didn't do the elimination fights. They just picked the people they wanted. I, th I think that was because of what happened on, on our season. Yeah, I can see that. Like did Tanya you... Evinger would have been phenomenally entertaining, I think, for reality TV. She's a character, her personality. She just says whatever the hell she wants to say, and she'll stir up shit if she wants to stir up shit. And she's just, uh, she's totally good for reality TV. So is Tara LaRosa, and she didn't get on either. Do you remember crossing paths with Tanya, watching her fight? Any interaction between you two during that whole thing? Yeah, I remember meeting her and talking to her a bit. Um, you know, obviously I know who, who she is. She's been fighting a long time. Um, but yeah, not, nothing stood out to me more than that. I hated it, actually. I think um, it, what people see on TV is so crazy compared to what really happens. Um, it, it's just crazy. They, they, I mean, we're stuck in our rooms all day long. We, we can't do nothing. We don't even have a key to our room. We leave our room and we're fucked. We can't go get coffee. We can't do nothing. We have to order. We have like a $60 limit on our room service, but none of us can eat because we're all cutting weight. And then I watch these videos of when they replayed it, and I'm like seeing people do push-ups and sit-ups, and I'm like, people were working out in their room? I just was fucking watching TV. Like, what the fuck? I know people <laughs> was doing, working out in their room, but like, uh, it was funny. Um, you know, I, they kept us up the night before. They're like, oh, we're, gonna, we're doing these new interview things, and they had us at the gym. They they kept us up at all hours of night. We went and weighed in. Then we got to eat. Then they took us over to the gym. And we did interviews all fucking night. And all of us were starving. You know, after you cut weight and you weigh in, you can't eat once. Your stomach is so shrunk. You're hungry. I mean, you can't even eat very much. And then you're hungry two hours later. Well, they had us over at the little UFC gym. And nothing for us to eat. We're doing interviews till early in the morning. And we're all bitching because we're hungry. And we got to fight tomorrow. Well, they send somebody to fucking... the 
the the fucking grocery store to buy us platters of the like the vegetables with the the ranch dip that's what we got and some fucking fruit platters and stuff like come on guys so we didn't get to eat anything all day so mm-hmm. then they have us up all hours night then we go back to the hotel i think me and shane and all of us my my last interview is like at three in the morning like i gotta get up and dana white even showed up at the hallway and he's like what the fuck are you guys doing up still and we're like we haven't went and done our interviews we have to wait in the hallway until our interviews and he was like, you guys, you guys got, these guys got to fight. Like, seriously, they need to fight. They need to rest. They need, like, you guys got to figure this out. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll hurry. So, I mean, we didn't get no sleep. Then we, like, they put us on buses and we wait out and in the buses for like an hour. We can't, so they can get us on film coming in because they're not ready. And then, then when we're in there, like, they get us all warmed up and it's a fucked up situation. Rhonda's whole deal was a fucked up situation. I was on Rhonda's team. We get in there. They warm the first two girls up. Boom, show starts. We have, what, nine coaches? Every every one of them had to be out cage side, every single one of them. Not a single coach stayed back there to warm any of us up. Me and um, uh, Valerie Letourneau actually tried to warm each other up. It was a fucking joke. And I'm like, oh, so nobody else gets any love. The first two fight got love because they got to warm up there first. But nobody, everybody else had to be in the corner and get their face seen. Not a single fucking coach was back there to warm us up. It was a fucking joke. And then on top of that, these these I'm getting cornered by people I don't even that don't even know my game. I got uh, some dipstick back there. I don't even want to name names because I don't want to start any drama. But some dipstick back there telling me I'm doing this wrong and that wrong, and I'm looking at her like, who the fuck are you? Like, have you ever fought? I've never even seen you. I've never heard of your name, and you're telling me I'm doing all this shit wrong. And then she's over critiquing me, making me try to change my game and I'm like what the fuck is going on right now mm, <laughs> this is mm. crazy and then uh you know the um I think it was like a fight before I was going out I had already took my supplements I was already warmed up I was ready to go boom electricity goes out and they're like oh I'll be out for a short time so here we are I mean I don't know how long it was out three hours or something like that and the building's hot as fuck we're sitting there I'm fucking starving at this point because it's been all day we just been sitting here. The couple girls fought, and then the power went out. So they have these tents. They're like, well, there's some tents outside if you guys want to go get some food. So I go out there, and obviously it's like catered food for all these fucking people. These girls get to bring like three people or something. And it's like all this catered food and like pasta with all this sauce and all this crazy stuff. Like I can't eat that shit. What can I eat? Like seriously, I'm not going to get sick. And you, you don't know when the electricity is going to come back on. So I don't know if I'm going to fight next. Like, it was a really fucked up situation, a really situation where, like, these people on TV, they just don't see what happens. And then, so when I, I felt like when I went into the fight, I, my adrenaline, I had adrenaline dump. I just didn't feel like, I just didn't, I felt kind of exhausted and, like, just all day of just sitting around and waiting and being starving. And then I did finally, I ate some fucking, like, rolled up meat, like, lunch meat and shit, and I just didn't feel... I just didn't feel ready. It's like taking your supplements four hours before then and then them wearing down and you're just tired and I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel good. I fought like shit. I don't know. And another one of them situations where it just wasn't right. And, wasn't you know, right. you know, it's, just, I, it's, a, it's one of them unanswered prayers, though. You know what I mean? I feel like uh, I look back and all these things I've prayed for over all these years. I want this and I want that and please let this and that happen for me. I feel like they've all come true, but just in in a different light. Like, like these people, all these people want me to be a UFC star and want me to go to UFC. Why did like 
maybe that was never what was meant to be for me. Maybe what was meant to be for me is to be an Invicta champion and to be somewhere where I feel good about what I'm doing and where I'm at and I feel respected and I feel appreciated and I feel good about doing what I'm doing. And I don't give a shit what the general public thinks that it's some secondhand promotion and the second level talent. They don't know what they're talking about. These people are fanboys. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. Invicta is full of talent. And I just feel like when it all comes down to it, I'm where I need to be. I'm in a promotion. I'm fighting more than I fought ever. I feel great about the people I'm fighting for. I'm getting paid a decent amount. I'm fighting more often. I'm a champion. Um, you know, I just it's just stuff that 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 I've asked for all my life and it's and it's just in the eye of the beholder, you know. It's just one of them things that's that really came true and it, it takes a second for you to step back out of reality and look at it and be like, Wow, like that's my dream. That's I'm exactly where I wanted to be. So you know, it's 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 something that's amazing to me. It it, it just is amazing. Jack, we have a strong sense of where Tanya had been in the fight game prior to the Ultimate Fighter, but what about Colleen? Well, she had just collected her first hardware in the sport, as a matter of fact. Over in the Super Fight League in India, she won their flyweight and bantamweight titles, and it looked like she would be sort of a capstone for a promotion that initially saw itself as built around two distinct categories of fighter. And while that didn't happen for Colleen, she certainly came away from the Super Fight League with and only an MMA experience. I got hit up by Ken Pavia, who at the time was matchmaking for Super Fight League. They had a couple big names behind it, a bunch of money behind it, um, and they wanted to put on big shows, and they thought people wanted to see heavyweights and wanted to see women. So uh, my first fight over there, I, uh, I flew into New Delhi, and then got in a car and drove about five hours from Delhi to Chandigarh in northern India, um, and, and, you know, spent about the entire five hours thinking I was going to die because driving over there is insane. Ooh. You're like, there's like, you know, there's trucks and cars and scooters with a family of five on them, including a mom sitting side saddle and like a baby on her shoulder and like all on the freeway weaving in and out of each other. And it's, the driving's pretty nuts. And the countryside was actually really, uh, really depressing. Uh, you just see mm-hmm. what the, what first world industrialization has done to the countries that, you know, provided the products. Um, there's just, there's not much regulation or, or safeguarding or worker protections or environmental protections in India. So there's all these factories and just smoke pouring out and, and trash and everything's polluted. And you're driving along the highway in what seems like the middle of nowhere. And there's just people living in these kind of sort of shanty towns along the highway. And, uh, it's a, uh, it's it's like, hey, you you get the the good end of this. The, this is the shit end of it, but it's all part of the same thing. So being over there, you don't get to, <laughs> you're you're forced to recognize that both ends of that exist to allow you know certain people in parts of the world to live the way they do. Wow. Um, but uh, Chandigarh, it, <laughs> Chandigarh, I remember reading all about it before I went. You know, because I'm all excited to take this trip and it, the the big thing that that all these sites said was that Chandigarh was the the most western city in India, um, which I guess turns out is, is just because of the way they run the roadways there. They think is, is a western style, but um, so I'm over there and I'm the co-main event under uh, Todd Duffy and Neil Grove, and uh, 
Luke Rockhold's out there cornering Todd Duffy. So we all that we all went out. We went to go see the the main attraction in Chandigarh was the Rock Garden. I'm like, all right, well, you know, we got some time to kill. Let's go check out the Rock Garden. So we go over there, and it's like this. It's like this kind of sort of dried up ish river with a bunch of mosquitoes and you wind around and there's literally just some piles of stone and some random things carved in like it's it looks like if you took a third grade class and we're like here guys play with stones and make something that looks cool um except you walk around for like a mile in that <laughs> it was so sad that it that it was actually funny um but that was the that was the main attraction in Chandigarh but uh, it wasn't it wasn't a bad city but you see all this this poverty and uh, one of the things that like the you know the effect of the industrialization has had on India that you ha- you have some people there with extreme wealth and then you have a ton of people that that live in abject poverty and you don't have much in between so being out around the country and around the city you see all this poverty and then you know we had this this big party after the fights that's all you know the the other end of the stick right all the people that are backing the fight and have all this money and um, meanwhile, right out, out front of our super, super nice Western style hotel are people just, you know, sleeping in boxes in the streets and, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all right there and mixed together. MMA was brand new in India then, right? Like people didn't know MMA. They just didn't know the sport at all. And, and, in, in India they knew cricket and they kind of knew pro wrestling. So I had a bunch of reporters asking me, uh, basically, they didn't think I was really fighting. They thought it was a work. They thought I was doing pro wrestling. So they would say, oh, but you don't really hit or you won't really get hurt, right? I'm like, yeah, just just come watch, guys. Come to the fight. <laughs> <laughs> and and so what the what Super Fight League did to get the crowds to, to come and be interested in MMA is they put on a full-on Bollywood concert in conjunction with the fights. And they had this, you know, this big big group on that I was told was like the equivalent of black eyed peas at the time, but in India. So like, you know, a really, really big group, big show. And then we fought afterwards and, uh, people just didn't know what to make of it. Like the crowd was, was silent just because they didn't, they didn't know what they were watching, you know? So it was, it was a little strange. (laughs) It was a little strange. Um, but actually it was funny because I fought over there three times that, that changed noticeably each time. By the, t- the third time I fought over there, people knew the sport more. So they, they would react. Something would happen. Someone would, you know, get a nice shot or a nice takedown or go for submission attempt and you would get an audience pop. You know, it seems like both of these women bring vastly different life and fight experiences to the table coming up here on May 7th. Yeah, I think the contrasts have been pretty well drawn by now. And so we sort of reach the point where their paths start to cross in Invicta. Avenger debuts at Invicta FC7 and beats Sarah Delelio and truly hasn't looked back since, winning five straight in the promotion. Immediately flashed to the Arena Aldana fight and when you won the championship with a fourth round mounted flurry of punches. And I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, because obviously you had that huge armbar earlier in the fight that she somehow survived. So you'd already put significant violence on her, but you don't hit that point like you talked about in, let's say, the Gina fight. We're just like, I want out of here, you know, in a moment of not being able to kind of walk through that door and close a victory. So what's what what's washing over you as you're laying down that fourth round flurry to take the Invicta belt? You know, I think that what changed me is is going my first fight in Invicta. My first fight was Sarah DeLeo. I remember seeing a buddy of mine the night before I went to a fight, and I remember telling him, like, yeah, I'm fighting for Invicta. And I remember him having a little pep talk in the hallway before I walked in the event. And he's like, you know, like, I've been training with you and watching you fight for so long. And he's like, you're fucking good. 
He's like, when you fight her, you don't fucking respect her. That bitch wants to fight you. Like, fuck her. She wants to fight you. Like, don't show her any fucking respect. She earns your respect after she leaves that cage and you beat the shit out of her. That's the only respect she gets is that she lost you and had the fucking balls to get in the cage to you. That's it. In the cage, I don't respect them. And and I remember being in the fight with Sarah DeLeo. And I remember thinking, like, this bitch is bigger than me. And she looks meaner than me. And her side sideburns are filled out more than mine. And, like... What the fuck? Why do I always do this to myself? And I remember fighting and, and, and going in that first round and just fighting. And I remember going in the second round and I remember I almost knocked her out. And I remember being in on a shot and, and then hearing my brother say, take her down. And I took her down and I remember thinking, this bitch can't beat me. She can't beat me. And that's like where I feel like my head switched from the person I was before and that's the last decision you see me fight, you know. And I haven't had very many decisions. But that's the last time you've seen me fight like that because I think I that that mental game and my that that mental struggle I have where I'm fighting with myself and what I'm doing in that fight that's that's where it changed from do I want to win this fight and that's the normal and I don't care who you are that's a fucking that's a thought going through your head in the fight do I want to win this or not you know she's kind of got me in a smith she got me in a bad position do I want to win I just want to go ahead and like fucking kind of like get in position I'm going to lose and just go ahead and tap you know I, I go through that struggle, and I think everybody goes through that struggle. This is a fight where I remember thinking, this bitch can't beat me. And and I just fucking turned it on and started trying to finish her the whole rest of that fight. And I, I felt like I turned it up, and I that's how I fight. And now I fight to finish people. I, I, I fight the same way I, I used to wrestle. And I, I go out there, and I look for a finish the entire freaking fight. And I think with Aldana, like, you know, when I got that arm bar, I thought it was over. But then when I didn't get it, I just... I remember thinking, like, just get on top and fucking beat her up. That's what I do. And then I just got on top and I just started beating her up. And I am and I hear people say, like, God, she was so tough. I don't know what the difference or what people understand about what tough really is. Is it is it being in there for four rounds, getting beat up so bad you can't post pictures and you can't train for so long? Or, or is it, like, a, a, a fight where people are really fighting back because I don't feel like that was a fight where she fought back I feel like that was a fight where she survived and I don't see that as tough I don't see that as smart on her cornermans uh you know or the ref not stopping it sooner and and I think a lot comes from the fact that I don't cut people I I punch really solid punches I drop really solid elbows I do so much to the body I beat up the body and I think that that people don't see that and the damage doesn't show until like the end of the fight, you know, and, and then swelling starts and, and people start to see it. But, you know, they, them girls in there, they know. I can hear it as they're whimpering when I'm beating them. I can hear them and I, I can feel them and the, their spirit leave because I'm just, there's nothing they can do and I'm, I'm overwhelming them with punches and everything they do just seems to get them in a worse position. And, you know, with Aldon, I just, um, I knew every round was going to be the same. And I, I think when I look at a fight now, when I get, I used to get in a cage and I always, always used to feel like I was climbing a hill. Like, like it felt like in my, my mind, like I was climbing a hill. The middle of that cage was such a struggle to get to, to a hill that I had to climb to even get to the fight to win. And, and that may sound weird, but now I feel like I'm bigger than this cage. I'm the fucking dominant power in this cage. And I, I fucking push people against cage and I fucking control the fucking fight and I take you down when I want and I just beat you to a, a fucking pulp. I feel I feel superior in the cage now whereas before I felt like kind of overwhelming feeling like it 
it was a fight before even I even got to a fight, you know, and and I think that Aldana was that first fight back where you saw no 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 India Gomez probably was that first fight back where you saw me just kind of come in and just want to dominate. And I just feel like all my fights now I'm always looking for a finish. And that's one thing that girls aren't doing in fights or a lot of fighters aren't doing in fights. They're there just to get that that W. And I'm not. I'm there to finish a fight every single time and you know, the 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 round's over faster than I can even think. And everybody's like, oh, she looks like she's out of shape. Bitch, I fucking punched the entire time. I wrestled them and I punched them the entire time. I trained to be able to hit somebody for 25 minutes as hard as I can. And, and I should be exhausted every single round because I'm putting full effort into that. You don't feel it out there in the crowd. But believe me, her body feels it and her face feels it. And the next round when she comes in, she doesn't want to fucking fight me. She's real standoffish. And you see it in Aldana. She doesn't. She was throwing air punches. She wasn't trying to fight me and close that distance. She was real hesitant. And that last round, she came out and started to throw some. She, I think she really started to like, it's fucking all or nothing now. Like, I just got my shit beat out of me for three rounds. It's all or nothing. She came out and tried to throw some hard kicks. But, man, it's too late. It's too late. I have your heart. I crushed your heart. <laughs> you know, and, and, and my confidence is sky high, and I'm just going to win. I'm just going to keep winning. Colleen, of course, debuted at Invicta FC 11 last February and fell to Irene Aldana. It ended, and I was just like, can we just do that over right now? Like, I, can we just call, you know, like, can mm. we just not count that and do this over right now, please? Like, let me fight again right now. Well, I'm sure when you saw the uh, Rousey's and Gano fight, you saw that in Cat's eyes. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. <laughs> Same feeling. Um, so did Invicta, I mean, certainly they'd established themselves. This was their 11th show. They had clearly carved a niche as, you know, kind of a, a proving ground for female mixed martial artists and get on the UFC's radar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, did it feel like the biggest platform you fought on? Because you fought in an eclectic range of places. Afterwards, you went to China, Mexico, Japan. We mentioned the, the, the India tour. What, what did it feel like? to step into Invicta? Was there anything unique about it? I fought on bigger stages with bigger audiences than that Invicta show. Um, but to be, be in my hometown was, that was unique, right? To be able to fight in front of, uh, having all my friends and family there. Um, it was interesting, even though fucking LA is basically Mexico 2.0, so everyone was cheering for Aldana. I'm mm. fighting in my hometown, and the crowd's just going nuts for her. <laughs> Sounds like you're kind of sour about that. Dude, okay. it's lame. I feel like, okay, yeah, you're from Mexico, but you fucking live in L.A. now, and I'm from L.A., so cheer for me. <laughs> so what's up? <laughs> you know, Jack, going into Colleen's second fight in Invicta against Raquel Paula Louie in January, uh, I had the champion, Tanya Evinger, sitting to my left watching this fight unfold, and she added her two cents throughout the commentary. Uh, and really, you know, looking at this fight, it was a pretty black and white thing coming into it. Paul Louis was a favorite. Uh, Schneider, uh, a sizable underdog. And despite Schneider having success throughout the contest, it still seemed that Tanya thought Raquel Paul Louis was going to come back, pound her out, finish this thing. It, it seemed like it was just a foregone conclusion that even when Paul Lou was having issues, she was going to come back. Tanya Evinger was going to defend her title against her at some point. Not the case, though. Yeah, she actually, at some point, if I remember correctly, just basically voiced, yeah, but I expect Paul Louis to come back, despite Schneider having pretty consistent success on the feed and somehow stopped Schneider in the third round. So she was definitely married to the idea that Paula Louis would be her next challenger. And it was interesting to hear the tone shift, as Colleen Schneider will talk about. It was a split decision. 
Um, you know, it, it was a very close fight, to be fair. Um, and, you know, of course, Tanya was on commentary, and Colleen got the chance after logging the victory to, of course, go home, watch the fight, and listen to Tanya's commentary throughout the course of the bout. And she drew some some insight from that, as we'll hear. Uh, I thought I clearly won that fight. Uh, at the time, I thought I won it, and then going back and watching it, I thought I won it. Um, so I'm still surprised that it was split. But, um, uh, you know, judges, judges have their own way of, of looking at things, but... Um, you know, if you're trying to take someone down, but you can't hold them down, you can't do anything with it, and you're taking a bunch of damage in the process, then I don't really see how that how that wins you around. Not to take anything away from, you know, Raquel. I think I think she's a very very good fighter, and I think she has a, a bright future in the sport. But um, but I do think I definitely won that fight. It's interesting, actually, to listen to Tanya's tone change throughout the fight, right? She used this point where she's like, oh, hey, look, you know, look at Schneider. Shit, she's actually, she might take this fight. You know, it kind of, like, turns throughout the fight. So it's, it's kind of, at this point, knowing that Tanya and I are fighting, it's, it's a little bit entertaining to go back and watch her commentary on my fight with Pa Louis. Mm, entertaining is the word you're going to use, huh? I don't find it insulting at all. I don't. I don't care if people make presuppositions. You know, I've I've had ideas about how I thought fights were going to go, and I've been wrong. <laughs> I, I honestly don't find it offensive at all. Well, that's good. You because know, at one point she says, I think it's in the second round that, you know, I'm pretty sure Pablo is going to take her down and pound her out in the third, just straight. Like that's yeah. what's going to happen. No, that that does not bother me in the least. Well, good on you. I mean, you- even me, if I think someone's going to lose in a fight, that doesn't mean that I don't think well of that person it's just how i expect that fight to go based on the you know my perception of their skill sets what do you make of tanya you've talked touched on it a little bit in terms of her personality what do you what, what do you what do you make of her i think part and she's tanya's alluded to this as well that part of the reason she's she's done so well recently with her career is that her personal life is a lot uh more stable right and i, I think that shows um she's always been a very good fighter but she would kind of have this like this mental break right um and and she's been she's just been a lot more a lot more consistent in how she fights lately um so i, I wasn't surprised that she won the championship at all and i actually i like i just i think she is a as a person is, is entertaining i like her I read a little bit of an interview that she did tonight, and I think that uh, she's like, I knew I was going to fight her so many months in advance. Yeah, because she turned the fight down in Vegas because she's a chicken shit. Uh, so, yeah, she got a lot longer training camp to train for me. But when it all comes down to it, I, I see the same comments come out of her mouth that I see come out of everybody's mouth that fights me. They're going to show off their wrestling. They're going to their movement is going to shut my game down. Man, I've been there, done that. I've seen it all. I fight everybody, and I fight to win. And it doesn't matter how much you want to move around. Eventually, I'm going to get my hands on you. And when I do, you're going to feel the wrath. I'm going to hurt your facial features. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that um, I read that interview today that she did, and, and it just kind of uh, it pisses me off. It really pisses me off to listen to these girls every single time they fight me to underestimate my game and to underestimate what I do and, and how good I am. And even the fans, you know, they do it constantly. And these people, they don't see half the shit I do in there because I'm not, like, throwing some crazy flurry to the face and stuff. They don't see half the shit I have in my game, and they don't feel what 
these girls on fighting field and they don't they don't know what they're really getting into and you know I do love showing them I love showing them and uh, I kind of I kind of feel offended every time I read these articles and I'm like man and it fires me up and then I, I get meaner and meaner and meaner the closer to my fight and I'm angrier and shorter tempered and boy it sucks to be around me it sucks to be my training partners um, but when the fight's over Boy, they, my coaches are like, it was all worth it. My ribs are broken and my face hurts for months, but it was all worth it. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. It's going to be the same thing as normal. I, I do have hands and I do hit hard and, and uh, uh, karate kid shit works every once in a while. I mean, obviously she might get some licks in, but, you know, it ain't going to be a one-sided fight like she thinks. I ain't Raquel Palui. I ain't the first win she's had in the U.S. for a long time. This is going to be a loss for her. Introducing to you first, fighting out of the blue corner, a combat submission wrestler standing 5 feet 9 inches tall. Fighting out of Los Angeles, California, here is the thoroughbred, Colleen Schneider! If you win the championship, what will that represent to you? Looking back on your whole career as we've done and and your kind of blossoming interest in MMA, what, what will it represent to you that night if you have the championship around your waist? That's hard to say now. I, I think it'll be the kind of thing where, I mean, I've been, honestly, the, my last fight against Raquel and this fight, I've totally changed how I do my camp and how I train, and in a way, how I look at MMA. Like, I, I feel like I am more in love with the sport now than I ever have been, and I'm excited to train in a way that I never have been before and I'm really genuinely excited to go fight um, so to, to see how how that comes out and how I'm able to express that in the cage um, is what is most interesting to me about this about this fight and about this opportunity and next her opponent across the cage fighting out of the red corner she is a mixed martial artist standing five feet, seven inches tall. Fighting out of Houston, Texas, here is the newly crowned Invicted FC, better weight champion of the world, Tanya Triple I think that people don't understand the chip on my shoulder, and, and they, they, they call it a chip on my shoulder, but it ain't. It's me over years and years and years. Uh, listening to bullshit promoters bullshit me and treat me like shit and do us dirty and, and pushing the females and, and, and not getting treated the way we got treated and, and always trying to to get to where I'm never never able to get to. Watching these girls come in and be bigger stars when they haven't done anything and, and having sponsors fuck me over and, and, and all this stuff. And so it's not that I fight with a chip on my shoulder, but I fight because I'm angry. I fight because... I'm, I'm here to prove that I'm, I'm here to fight for me like and that's what I love about Invicta I can fight they're hiring me for my talent and for my ability and then I watch these girls get signed and they haven't done shit and they got a losing record or they ain't doing sh they've never done shit and they're getting signed with UFC well how fucking respectable is that like that I'd rather fight for Invicta on whatever level they'll have me fight <clears throat> and feel more respect for myself and for what I'm doing and for a promotion I'm fighting for than to some bullshit to say I'm a fucking UFC fighter and to be in that that group of girls that has a bunch of fans that don't even know what the fuck they're fans of like it's, it's just amazing to me to see this and and I fight 
I, I, I feel that come out and I fight to, to, to prove that I'm, I'm better than people. I fight to prove, I want you to, t- to think that you're never going to get in a cage with me again. You never want to fight me again. And why the fuck did you ever want to fight me in the first place? Like, I want you to never, ever, ever feel like that was a good decision to get in a cage and fight me. You know, I fight to, to hurt people, you know, to really fucking hurt people. And, and when I was in wrestling, I, I wrestled to fucking pin people. I didn't wrestle to win. I wrestled to fucking pin people and to fucking beat you mentally and physically. Every aspect, every part of that game, I want to beat you down until you're nothing. And then I want to put you away. And that's how I feel like I'm fighting now in MMA. And with that comes that brutal, brutal part of it. That, that the punches, the fucking bleeding, the, the hurt and the pain and and, and the, the joy of me feeling like I beat you on a hand-to-hand combat. Every part of my game beats you. And, and it's not just the physical part of it, it's the mental part of it and how smart I was about it. I come out of fights without even a, a dent on me, you know, and, and I'm, I'm beating the shit out of these girls. And that's my plan. I'm not out there to fucking put a great fight on in a back and forth battle. Bitch, we aren't battling. I'm the only battle that's gonna take place is my fist hitting your fucking face. You know, <laughs> that's it. Invicta FC Radio is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of Invicta Fighting Championships. Its content is intended for private use only.